Good evening. Welcome to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauver. I'm an employment law and business law attorney, and I host this live weekly talk radio show and this live weekly video broadcast every Tuesday night from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Talk Radio NYC, where I have guests who discuss some of the most interesting and novel issues that impact employers and business owners alike. We discuss issues around law, around commerce, around trends and changes out there. Uh, and so in this spirit, I'm very happy tonight to have as my encore guest, uh, who was here back in January of 2021, she's back on the show tonight, uh, our very own Miss Stacy Robbins. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me back, Eric. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's great to have you back on the show again. I think we had a, an interesting, uh, lively discussion like last time you were here. So I'm happy to have you back for this interesting topic, which I'm going to introduce now, and then we'll turn to a bit more proper introduction of you and who you are. So our topic tonight, folks, is cryptocurrency and blockchain, positioning your business for change. It's an interesting think, topic in, in today's uh, climate. And really what we're talking about with this topic is that um, in the business world, as it continues to evolve with digital assets, cryptocurrency, blockchain, and new approaches to creating a workplace for employers uh, and keeping up with customers and clients changing needs, the question becomes, as an employer, you may be wondering, what is changing around me? What do I need to know? How do I set myself up to be relevant? And how do I produce new ideas for my business? And a lot of this, again, is in the context of technology and technological changes, such as with cryptocurrency and blockchain, but also with other technology as well, which Stacey and I will discuss tonight. So my guest this evening, Stacey Robin, is a strategic growth catalyst and founder of the Deganya Group, and we'll be discussing this timely topic. But before we get to those questions, Stacey, I think it's just nice to introduce you, if I may, to our audience of listeners. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Here, here we go. <laughs> so uh, as I mentioned, folks, our guest tonight is uh, Ms. Stacey Robin. Uh, Stacey has nearly 25 years of experience catalyzing corporate and professional growth. She founded the Deganya Group in 2003 to position emerging and established companies for growth, for sale, and for investment. Stacey focuses on enabling people and organizations to prepare for, embrace, and drive change. She has a special interest in how emerging technologies and related global and regulatory developments impact the way we work, communicate, share information, and fundamentally transform the way that we conduct business and structure our organizations. Stacey has educated entrepreneurs and corporate leaders at NYU and in Pepperdine University's MBA program, as well as the Rutgers Business School Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development. And so with that, again, Stacey, uh, it's great to have you on and welcome back to the show. Again, yeah. it's an exciting topic, at least in my opinion. I tend to agree as well. Again, I think no better person to discuss it than I, in my opinion than, than you. I've heard you talk about these topics with passion. Um, so let's maybe get to our perhaps like, first question, which is, uh, I think to get people to know a little bit more in, about you, just if you could tell us, uh, Stacey, a little bit more about yourself, mainly how did your career initially start out 
And then what prompted you to found the Degania Group in 2003? Um, that's an interesting question considering where I wound up. Um, I did not have um, technological aspirations, but I was a technophile growing up. So um, started. I was very lucky back in 1984, I got my first personal computer. I'd been programming Commodore 64s and I got an Apple IIc and I was lucky enough to get access to CompuServe and a modem. Um, and um, even though I wasn't planning on it, I wound up in the mid-1990s in the corporate world building electronic performance support systems for Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. So this was a time when you still needed to design mouse tutorials because most people didn't understand what a mouse was. Mm -hmm. um, and after several years, I left that company to move to Xerox, where I was working on products that were moving paper-based training, sales training, customer support um, from, you know, just hard copy manuals that used to sit on shelves and gather dust mm -hmm. to more interactive training, interactive support, context-sensitive help. Um, mm -hmm. And I also saw the tools we were using to design mm -hmm. the programs um, they forced change on everybody working there because suddenly they couldn't support these products the same way. They couldn't write the manuals the same way. They had to learn new programs, new software. They had to think differently about how people were going to access it. Um, right. So as you know, I was always interested in the corporate initiatives, in the people being affected. And as a non-technical leader, how do you even stay current? Yeah. So I, um, I later founded the Degania Group um, because I knew a lot of people launching new ventures, especially during the tech craze, mm. who um, who needed help. You know, they they knew what they could do, but they didn't know necessarily how to run, grow, build a business. And um, I, I somehow enjoyed helping them and decided to expand my uh, my impact and uh, see if I could could support other people in staying relevant, staying competitive, how to grow a company and all of the issues that come along with that. Hmm. Interesting. I, yeah, I, I hear you about that. You know, it's interesting. It's like to me that um, the way so much of like, what, what we do might start in childhood, even though at the time like, we may not have known this is going to be perhaps planting a seed, but that early technology that you had. And I remember those days of the Commodore 64, if I can tape myself. I also remember 1984 quite well so, um, as a kid, as a child. So, um, but then, of course, in the mid-90s, the technology. Uh, and I found that when you're doing tech work or some kind of new work, there's always a teaching element. And then I heard you say that you had people you knew who were starting businesses and you wanted to help them with the, I guess, the leadership, the adopting um, so interesting to hear that, that technology was always back in your, uh, in your history. And thank you again for reminding me about those old, those days with the modem and the dial-up and the crunching sound. Oh, yeah. A lot of our, maybe perhaps younger colleagues might not quite recall if you're listening tonight, but, um, but that's great. It's great. I think just to have that background. And then, you know, when we think about, let's say where we are today, so fast forward from 1984 to 2022, um, Kind of takes me into my next question. Nice segue there, which is as you know, states uh, as they see as digital assets like cryptocurrency and blockchain as they become more prevalent, what changes can companies expect when they operate on a global or national level? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, I especially having seen different different eras of technology emerge. Um, 
I think what we can first expect is that the rate of adoption has sped up. So it's not only how quickly things change and, and new things come out, but how quickly people are adapting to them, how they're adopting them. But what we also start to see is as these technologies come out, so people might have first heard about Bitcoin and blockchain with um, you know, all these subversive stories about, uh, you know, the issues around Silk Road, which was this, you know, black market place using crypto. And, and that was really, I think, when people got to know some of the terms. Um, mm -hmm. So they immediately think of Bitcoin and blockchain together. They don't separate the two. They okay. don't understand the difference. And then they only understand uses associated with what they hear in the news, right? Oh, right. someone stole X amount of Bitcoin, it's all financial related. And mm. what people don't necessarily understand is what changes over time is how we're able to understand the potential of these technologies. Because if we've never seen it before, if we've never tried using it before, how do we know what it can do? And the example I love to give is that of the, the desktop computer, right? When, um, when I started using my computer, right, there were things like Print Shop or um, AppleWorks, which was a word processor. And so people saw it based, they related it to the things they already know, right? Oh, this is a really cool calculator or a really cool typewriter or even like a souped up word processor. I can, <laughs> You know, I can make pictures on here, but the opportunity to leverage it to change the way we share information, the way we communicate, right? People had no idea what could happen with it, that we would turn these powerful computers into phones that we no longer use as phones, but as computers, right. um, as different types of communication devices, information exchange devices. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're just at the precipice of a lot of these technologies that have been around for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, blockchain, which, for example, is just a form of distributed ledger technology. And right. we're starting to hear terms like decentralization. So how is that going to change things? We're starting to see, well, how do you work without a middleman? How does that affect, you know, our governments, our global collaboration? Mm -hmm. um, how does that allow greater collaboration and these terms called co-opetition for cooperating mm -hmm. com competitors. Um, yes. So we're, we're just starting to see the impact in so many different, um, in, in so many different ways. Yeah, that's really interesting too. It, I mean, the thing that you said, one thing really struck me, Stacey, we were talking about a moment ago, um, how people tend to like associate technology and new technology with either something they hear about it in the news or how they relate to what they already know. So like the example, of course, of the computers back when they came out related to it's a typewriter or it's a graphics design or it's a video game, perhaps a console. Um, and also, I think that's interesting because as people start to change, there are many, many more uses that they can discover. But I also heard you say that like people were, you know, associating Bitcoin and, and, and cryptocurrency with this sort of illicit things you read in the news, like Just yes, Silk Road and those kind of sites and so forth. And I think that to me, I wonder if that's maybe what contributes to people's fear of technology, that they they don't always hear the good things about it. They hear like saying how it's you know, being misused um, or used for perhaps illicit purposes. Um, so that just kind of strikes me, of course. And then talking about, you know, cooperation, I've heard that phrase more and more. When I first saw that written somewhere, I thought it was a typo. I thought, oh, sloppy editor. Then I stepped back and said, wait, look at the context here. It's saying, right, you can kind of cooperate slash compete with your uh, 
So interesting to hear all that from your perspective. Um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of note that, you know, in terms of what you're saying. And it, I think also, can you speak a little bit more about the centralized versus decentralized like processes and how that might be connected to, say, an evolving workplace or cryptocurrency? Um, well, I can say that decentralized takes out the middleman. Right. So um, there's some pushback from some entities that have their role as the middleman, just as the middle manager. Um, in when we saw a lot of re-engineering in the 80s, when companies mm -hmm. no longer had a need for middle management to, to monitor the flow or to maintain the flow of information, their roles had to change. So right now we're seeing decentralization in a number of ways, um, both positive and negative. Um, and there's a lot of applications of that um, that we can start thinking about how will that impact all of these different um, all, all of the different industries, we're already starting to see it with Web 3.0, right? Web 2.0, even Web 1.0 was based on centralized, um, centralized organization, right? Or centralized approval or centralized permissioning or centralized, um, it, there was a central authority is yeah. the best way to put it. And, um, and now with Web 3.0, we're suddenly seeing a proliferation of decentralized opportunities and applications. And I think that anybody who says they are a Web 3.0 expert um, mm -hmm. should be questioned because I don't think it's been around long enough, um, much like some of these other technologies. It's like um, people calling themselves blockchain experts, you know, as soon as it comes out. Um, it, it's difficult and we really don't know how it's going to evolve and mesh with existing structures that are dependent on centralization. Thank you for that. I, I really appreciate your clarifying that point for our listeners. And with on that note, we actually, um, believe it or not, uh, Stacey, we're at our very first commercial break. So I'll just let everyone know that you're watching and or listening to Talk Radio NYC, watching Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauver, Employment Law Business Law Attorney. My guest tonight I'm Ms. Stacey Robin, founder of the Degania Group. When we come back, we'll be talking more about uh, some of the most promising aspects of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies for companies in light of the evolving workplace. So stick around for an interesting conversation. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are 
Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber. My guest tonight, Ms. Stacey Robin. Stacey is a catalyst for corporate and professional growth through her company or firm, the Degania Group. And we're talking tonight, and I realized I didn't give the title when I introduced our topic, which is cryptocurrency and blockchain, positioning your business for change and growth. I think it's important to note that these emerging new technologies um, can create all kinds of interesting issues but if studied and applied, and if a company goes through the trial and error of change uh, with this, these digital assets and cryptocurrency, there could be a lot of benefits and a lot of um, ways in which we can open up new ways of doing business that I think corporations haven't seen in, in decades prior. So, you know, with that, Stacey, I want to ask you a question, which is about promise. So I'm wondering, like, which new ways of doing business appear most promising? For companies in light of the evolving workplace and the prevalence of cryptocurrencies? Um, I would say it's not just cryptocurrencies, but um, the blockchain or the dis- um, the distributed ledger technology, the DLT, oh, yes. on which right. they, are, they are based, because that to me is where there's a lot of opportunity. So, um, I mean, this is an issue that, I mean, you hear about in game theory, right? It's um, the the Byzantine generals problem it, or, or issue, if you've ever heard of game theory or that issue. And it's basically if all of these generals are, let's say, surrounding um, a city for which they want to attack. And the only way for them to attack is for one general to make a call about, you know, this like perfectly coordinated attack at exactly the same time. And now all of their generals are stationed in so many different areas. Mm-hmm. How do you ensure that the information is accurate that gets to all of your generals because there's, you know, you can't necessarily trust the people communicating that. And Mm -hmm. that's what blockchain did is it solved for that problem is it created that trust network because right that, and that allowed so many things to happen when people started looking at it as I have this decentralized network of organizations, people, issues that I have to pull together in a trusted fashion. So um, one of the most interesting um, and newsworthy um, ways I like to look at another use for blockchain besides just um, 
besides just financial is mm -hmm. um, Walmart's um, Walmart's partnering with IBM's Hyperledger Fabric, and they had the mango experiment. So Walmart has all of these suppliers, and it's really not this supply chain. It doesn't work as neatly as that. It's kind of this, you know, mess of a network. And you have farmers and, and you know, there's there's so many people involved, but they yeah. created this network with IBM, this blockchain to um, to help with traceability. Because mm -hmm. if you get sick from something and they identify that spinach is making people sick, well, where did that spinach come from? And because it's only a guess at first, they have it, it actually impacts a number of people on that chain all mm -hmm. the way down to these local farmers. And it impacts the number of people that can get sick. Um, so they needed a good traceability solution. Mm -hmm. And they, um, they implemented this, I think they started building it in 2016, and they were able to test it in 2017. And they said, okay, we have these mangoes in front of us. And we're going to say, we just identified that they're making people sick. Right. We need to find out where they were sourced from and specifically where they were sourced from. Yeah. So in the traditional method they would use to, to figure that out, it took seven days to identify where they came from. Mm. Seven days. Wow. With blockchain, well, not blockchain, with the Hyperledger tool that they created, it was down to 2.2 seconds. Wow. So think about the opportunity that presents. Yeah. And it's this immutable record. So mm -hmm. there's applications where provenance, much like where food originated from, mm -hmm. comes into play in art, um, things about history. You know, people can record history mm -hmm. in an immutable fashion so that it can't get corrupted over time. So there are applications in so many ways. And when you start thinking about businesses, think about real estate transactions, mm -hmm. think, about, um, think about title insurance, Think mm -hmm. about um, financing. Think about countries where there's high levels of corruption and people can't get paid. But if you put a, a smart contract in place, right, mm -hmm. the payment gets executed automatically rather than people having to go through issues of bribery to get paid for major contracts. Mm -hmm. um, so there's this um, link as well to um, what actually started back with the crowdfunding movement to yes. democratize finance. And right. you were talking about decentralization before and DeFi or decentralized finance mm -hmm. is taking those major players um, away from being barriers to access to finance or controlling finance. And one of the big plays of blockchain is decentralizing finance and financial operations. So it's like, it can. I think what I'm hearing is that the blockchain and these other technologies can serve in a lot of ways. It can serve sort of to almost uh, to make the power, I guess, dynamic more equitable and that you're breaking down, like to some of the, the barriers, I should say, that are often, you know, the large global corporations or banks might have around about money. Um, I hear about accuracy being increased and speed as well, which of course comes in handy. That and cost reduced. I'm sorry? And costs reduced. Right. Accuracy in increased, speed increased, cost reduced. Seems like a win-win-win on all sides there. Fascinating how that mango story, too, that cut down to 2.2 seconds. Like, I think, you know, those stories, Stacey, I know you, I've heard you speak before, and you have a great way of, like, taking a story that people can relate to. Oh, Walmart and mangoes and, and, and sourcing fruit, where to come from, and kind of, like, you know, putting it in those concrete terms so that 
abstract concepts such as Bitcoin or Ethereum don't seem so like head in the clouds. So I think it's like, you know, great to hear that how um, you decentralize and democratize, I like that phrase, finance. Um, yeah, I see definitely like the promising there for companies if they're with all kinds of things you mentioned, real estate, um, even I wonder if in the, in the process say, of, like, you know, of loans moving back and forth between companies, intra-loans and external loans. So, yeah, that's actually an interesting um, point when you talk about speed and taking out middlemen. So um, when you think about companies that build products, right, and they sell widgets or gadgets, yeah. right, and they're selling, let's say you have a small company that's selling to a local store, and mm-hmm. suddenly they get picked up by a major distributor that has a need for an exorbitant amount of whatever widgets they're building. Generally speaking, most small businesses don't have the capital in place to Mm -hmm. finance the production of the amount they need to get that to, for the initial order. And Mm -hmm. so they wind up creating bad deals, right? They rush into um, venture capital or private equity money, or they rush into factoring, or they rush into deals that they don't completely understand. And I'm not saying any of the people on the other side are necessarily bad actors. It's sure. just the deals get structured poorly because there's a rush to get the capital. Right. So what happens is um, if you talk about blockchain speeding up transactions or smart contracts that can execute once there is Um, once something gets done by certain players. So let's say normally now you'd have that company building their widgets. So they'd have to pay the factory or the production facility, whatever it is. And they'd have to pay for the raw materials, the actual building of whatever they're providing. Then that that they have to pay the factory or the production facility upfront. Then they have to wait for it to be made. Then they have to wait for it to be shipped received. And then there's a turnaround time on time on payment, particularly from larger organizations. That can be a very long process, which requires that bridge financing that can be brutal for some of these small companies, especially when their profit margins aren't very big. Right. You can speed up that process Mm -hmm. so that um, once those products are built and shipped, Once Mm -hmm. that shipping occurs, let's say some of these companies now agree to take on um, payment as soon as they they know the product has been built, it's been shipped, it's on their way to them. That can minimize the time that that small business may have to float that amount of cash, which may now make it more possible. It may be a possibility for them to use credit cards or short-term, you know, Mm -hmm. equity and some, I have no idea exactly how they would do it, but it gives them more options because the timeframe has now been shortened and the, um, the company that's receiving those goods also has some proof that the work has been done, that the shipment Mm -hmm. has been made, that they're not relying on, you know, all of these other networks to inform them. Yeah. It's like, you know, you think about just the implications of that, especially because I know how many smaller businesses can suffer with, like, say, you know, kind of a cash flow crisis or revenue issues while awaiting payment from, you know, their consumers, from their clients, or, you know, from, like, there's a third parties and such. So um, I think it's an excellent point there. It's just all these sort of working pieces um, kind of get just uh, more efficient, right? Kind of just more smoothly flowing in some sense. And that's interesting too. It's like, you know, it's almost like then the ripple effect because does that change how often 
a small business may need to go for extra financing if they have more cash on hand more readily, and then can they actually afford to do more things uh, right now that they couldn't do until a loan came in? Could that then increase production, which might increase, like, say, like the payment on that production? Then can they use that profit to hire more people? So it's, I think it's interesting, Stacey, that you know you bring up this overarching theme about this again increased efficiency, accuracy, and trust, and then the flow of money. Right, the decentralizing the focus and flow of money and finance through businesses' hands. And that's just, I'm not sure it'll ever wind up working that way, but that's an example, mm-hmm. just like um, you can see the increase in tokenization. And that's showing up in everything from celebrity contracts mm-hmm. to real estate. And there's really interesting opportunities to discuss in real estate when you think about the ability to give people a share in Mm -hmm. something that you own, right? Whether that's, um, you know, access to a sports player's contract with a team to Mm -hmm. your home. Mm -hmm. And when you tokenize something like your home, does that mean that individuals may no longer need to go to traditional outlets like mortgage brokers Mm -hmm. or mortgage banks to access the equity in their home? And then of course, what does that do? Does that create, I wonder, when you say that, I'm wondering now, does that create sort of a pushback, a resistance to this change by, say, some of the old guard, you know, of the mortgage brokers, much as we've seen in history when there have been some uh, huge technological jumps and advancement, there's a pushback from the OG, right, the old guard, you know, whether you, whether you talk about um, General Motors and auto industry, automobile builders back, say, in the 80s when more and more, I think, uh, jobs were automized or automated through automation, and people will push back, but then, like, you know, is the process streamlined? Does the ultimate cost of the car go down? And does that create, say, more opportunity for that car company to have growth and then rehire people down the road? So I just... It, and it makes- these are just potential. I, I mean, the details of it working from the technology to the regulation to bad actors involved, right. um, it's all up in the air. But sure. there's possibilities of where things like this can go. Wow. Well, that's great. I mean, I think you really, and it's a good word of caution that, like, you know, this is like sort of a somewhat theoretical, somewhat where things could go in the uh, best case scenarios. But that's great talking about that kind of promise. And, you know, it's a nice sort of segue, nice breaking point for our uh, uh, midway commercial break. So I'll just say that we're uh, taking a break now, but um, I'm Eric Sauber, your host of Employment Law Today, and my guest, Stacey Robin, the Degania Group. Um, stick stick around for more of this great conversation. We're talking cryptocurrency, blockchain, really, you know, getting into all the, uh, the, the, the nuts and bolts here and the interesting aspects. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber. My guest tonight is Stacey Robin, who has nearly 25 years of experience catalyzing corporate and professional growth. And we're talking about cryptocurrency and blockchain mainly, but about positioning your business for change and growth through these different times where digital assets and technology is just really changing the face of how we do business. Now, I see it in my line of work, Stacey. Uh, I see technology changing the landscape, the, the sort of the scape of employment law as companies now go fully remote, uh, which they can do more easily than they could 30, 40 years ago. Um, I see it, like, like with, say, with more, you know, kind of online issues of, of privacy with the advent of social media. But, um, and I think like, you know, cryptocurrency and I think blockchain create issues for employers as well. So I'm, I guess my question for you, I'm wondering is, well, what are some of the challenges and maybe some of the risks that companies face when they integrate digital assets or cryptocurrency into their business model? Oh, I'm sorry, I think you're on mute. Duh. All right, I, um, that's okay. Um, sometimes I shouldn't be heard, but um, there are um, there are lots of concerns right now. Um, I think we're starting to see cryptocurrency finally getting regulated, and people tend to think that regulation is a bad thing, but the truth is it gives people direction. So, for example, when crowdfunding was passed a number of years ago at the federal level, the mm-hmm. states then needed to provide guidance, and until that guidance was provided, how things were done was kind of risky because if you don't understand where the regulation may take you, it could put you out of business. Mm. So what's going to be allowed? What's going to not be allowed? How's this going to work? How are we going to deal with bad actors? How are we going to deal with um, public concerns? Um, And what I think is really interesting right now is you're seeing a lot of um, tech tech you know, groups, um, crypto enthusiasts, um, Mm -hmm. people who've been at the forefront of all of these changes from blockchain to crypto, um, pushing for digital currency. Um, You're seeing all of this come come into play um, where the lawmakers may not understand enough about these things to adequately develop regulations. And so they're actually working hand in hand with these groups 
Um, these groups are helping to write the laws. They're helping to provide direction in a lot of states. And I think that's wonderful. But the bottom line still is if you're a first mover, if you jump in early on, right, you may build something in a, in a way that doesn't reflect how it's going to work in the future or doesn't comply with regulations that emerge. The other issue is you don't necessarily know what the law is going to to um, if you don't know the law or you don't know how the regulations are going to be applied. Um, perfect example, just with, um, you know, we've seen the emergence of people just giving up cash, right? Everybody's using their phone or credit cards. Mm -hmm. uh, yet in what, February of 2020, New York City passed a rule that these mm -hmm. stores could not be cashless, right? right? People have to accept cash and they've been finding companies left and right who mm -hmm. aren't accepting cash. And you could argue on both sides, whether that's good or bad, but that's the bottom line. So yeah. all these businesses that banked, no pun intended, on mm -hmm. being able to run a cashless business either have to use the, um, the, uh, the food truck model where you build in the cost of parking tickets. So you build right. in the cost of the fines or you actually have to comply and figure out how you're going to do that. But I think you raised an interesting point recently on social media about payment. You have all of these, you, know, you have the mayor, you have um, sports figures, you have all these different people being paid in digital assets, right? They might want some form of crypto as, as compensation. Mm -hmm. And companies may think it's it's a cool way to attract people to, mm -hmm. you know, pay them partially or fully or pay bonuses or mm -hmm. some of their compensation should be in some of these currencies. Mm -hmm. um, is that even legal? And that's a question for you. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to jump in there. Well, first, like, let me just, you know, like, like say that I think an excellent point you made, Stacey, is about, you know, the idea of, like, say, as this technology is emerging, as the regulations are emerging through lawmakers, like, studying the issue and getting help from tech, outside tech advisors, I love that you said about how companies and business owners might, I guess I'll say the phrase, like, like jump the gun, maybe in terms of, like, say, you know, setting up a business model based on what exists now, only to find that regulations come into play, which change that, and then it becomes doing a 180 of changing everything up as an example of the cashless stores model. Um, so that's just something I think really worth noting for listeners that could be a sort of a con to jumping in too fast into change. Um, but of course, it's great to get ahead of the curve and be the, the sort of the novel company out there doing things differently. Just kind of like wanted to cover that point. I think it was made nicely by you. But then to your point, which I've been chomping at a bit to answer about cryptocurrency in terms of like, say, you know, employment laws and how what employers need to know. Um, it's important, like you know, like say for employers to recognize that when you run a business, the the Fair Labor Standards Act requires that uh, money wages, that is, in compensation, particularly to amount to minimum wage or a certain minimum salary threshold or overtime pay, right? It has to be met in like, a currency that's backed by a uh, government. So it has to be like recognized in a legal tender, U.S. dollars. Uh, some companies pay their employees, let's say, in foreign currency. They may have two branches, one London, one here. But as long as, let's say, you know, the total value of that currency meets the minimum wage threshold or meets, let's say, overtime payment uh, value, the company would be all right. I think that like, what's scary or rather for companies to know is that, you know, if you start paying overtime in cryptocurrency, it doesn't count because it's, it could be so volatile. So, you know, paying Bitcoin to stay overtime actually is almost as if like, in the law's eyes, if you're paying nothing. 
And so you might get fined and penalized or sued and you won't have a defense. So I think it's really important to note that. That being said, just as you can give your employees certain perks and bonuses through property or gifts or gift cards, you can give someone a Bitcoin, let's say as a non-discretionary bonus. And even that gets a bit sort of tricky in that if you have a contractual promise bonus and you pay it in Bitcoin, the Bitcoin then is, uh, deflates in value, decreases to nothing. Did you breach the contract to give a, a bonus of some kind of you know, compensation? So it's a long way of saying that. I think employers need to be mindful that just as you mentioned with regulations, don't jump in too fast and say, hey, it's a cool way to pay people unless you're at least meeting the minimum threshold salary requirements with, with money. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of people also say, well, Bitcoin just isn't going to um, isn't going to make it right. It's based on scarcity. Only so many could be mined, but it's really based on market demand. There are other coins that are tied to more stable assets, right? Stable coins, which also have to be regulated differently. Um, you know, people are still exploring how they're all going to work. And, you know, right now, even the IRS pegs these as property. They're taxed as assets. They're not taxed as currency. But as you see the development, for example, of um, Caitlin Long, you know, you talk about the risk of jumping in before the regulation has been made. Mm-hmm. Someone has to make the first move, right? So um, Caitlin Long started the crypto bank Avanti in Wyoming to help move forward regulations. So as that bank becomes more established, how does that change companies' feelings on custodying assets that are based on blockchain or um, auditing assets that way? Or how's that bank going to influence the views of whether cryptocurrencies are actually currencies or assets? So you have to take that risk at some point. Um, So I think you're seeing a lot of different, um, you know, is Bitcoin going to be around forever even, right? If If you promise somebody payment in Bitcoin and Bitcoin just crashes and goes away, what right. do you replace that with? And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't think Bitcoin's going to make it. And you're right, it may not. But it's what I think it's doing, much like all of these other technologies, is mm-hmm. ushering in a new way of um, decentralized, you know, they're, they're ushering in new concepts, decentralized finance, a new way of doing business, a new way of dealing with finance. Um, so Bitcoin may not make it. It may. I'm not making predictions around that. But I'm saying it's definitely changed the way we're thinking of engaging in commerce and what tools we use to do that. Right. So it's like the conversation around Bitcoin is not, say, limited to the issue of whether it will or won't make it or be sustainable in the long run. It's about, say, you know, looking at what Bitcoin is doing and or has done or might do for uh, in terms of impact and change of how businesses may conduct business or how finances may flow more in a more decentralized fashion. And how decentralized networks work. Um, When China shut down Bitcoin mining, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. it didn't go away. Um, In less than six months, it was back up 113%. Because Mm -hmm. even though it was shut down in China, it popped up elsewhere. Um, So it shows the strength of having a decentralized network. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I find that, like, say, with all these different changes, anything I think that kind of threatens the longstanding power structure of the way business is done can be seen as a threat. But if people understand it more, um, you can see the opportunities involved as well. And I think that 
you know, if we probably, again, if we talked about history, historic and historical context, speaking historically um, on technology and, and changes, there's often that kind of pushback against it and the fear around it. So it's it's definitely interesting, you know, to discuss all this. And if you can believe it, we're actually at our, our, our next, our third commercial break. Um, I just think the people know that you're listening and tuning in to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber. Um, tonight, I have Stacey Robin, the Deganya Group. When we come back, we'll talk about how, as a business owner, you can manage your company in light of this rapidly changing world of digital assets. And also, I'm curious to know how Stacey and the Deganya Group help their clients to make these adjustments and transitions. So stick around, Talk Radio NYC. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers... Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber, as I mentioned before the commercial break. I'm still your host. And Daisy Robin is still my uh, amazing, talented, insightful guest. So, um, and it's still muted just as an FYI. I just in case you start to say something there, Stacey. Um, so I had a question for you, Stacey. And again, this is really good information here. Just, you know, to think about things, like say from the 10,000 foot, you know, aerial view, kind of the big picture. And then to give specific examples is always the way that I appreciate when people discuss a topic, a novel topic. And it, it kind of brings me to my, my next question for you, which would be about um, basically about how you work. And it has to do with, well, first off, I'm wondering as a business owner, how do I manage my company in light of this rapidly changing world of digital assets? And then more specifically, how do you and how does the Ganya Group help your clients to make these adjustments and transitions? There's two key questions I would I would put in front of them from a from a very general perspective. Generally, and and gen, it's generally speaking because 
I, it, the clients that I'm working with, I tend to know pretty well, so we can have these conversations very differently, but for, for, um, for the random person listening, decide where you fit, right? And the, when I say where you fit, are you going to be a thermostat or a thermometer, right? Mm -hmm. Are you going to drive the change or are you going to respond to it? And that, that puts you in a very interesting spot because it, makes you say, am I going to go up against this before regulations are settled? Am I going to invest a lot of money? Am I going to be a first mover? What advantages does it have? What disadvantages does it have? But you also have to think about it in the context of going back to the basics. What need do you fill or serve? Who are you? Who are your clients? How are they changing? How is your industry changing? And where do you fit within that? Um, what is the value that you ultimately provide and to whom? And does it make sense for you to be the thermometer or the thermostat? And does it make sense for you to embrace this or just be aware of it? Um, and there's a lot of things that you really have to think about in terms of the foundations of who you are as an individual and a business leader and as um, the foundations of your business, your mission, your vision, your, your strategic intent. What are you trying to, you know, what going back to the very basic of why are you in business? What value are you providing others? Mm -hmm. And if I don't pay attention to this, how is that going to affect me? So um, when I say that, um, I, I know it, I guess this relates to technological advantages. I always use the example of the, um, of the, the, um, sorry, the locomotive industry, right? They, yes. the railroads dominated that dominated this country for a long time. They were a very wealthy, um, they were a very wealthy industry. Um, and they defined themselves by their product, right? They defined themselves as trains, as railroads. Mm -hmm. They didn't take that step back and realize what they really filled was a need for transportation. Right. To right? People and yeah. so they didn't look at you know, should we be going into automobiles? Should we be going into airplanes? How else are are people and freight going to fulfill that need for transportation? So they played only against their product. So, right. you know, what if someone's in transportation today, what do they need to be thinking about? And how will this impact them in that context? And who are their customers and how are their customers' needs changing? Um, how are their customers changing and how they're accessing their services or their need for their services or where they're purchasing their services. Um, so, you know, what, what trends are you paying attention to? Um, I think one of the biggest trends that people need to think about is the metaverse, right? What's going on in the metaverse? Not that it directly impacts everyone immediately, but how is that going to change how we interact with each other? How is that going to change how we do business? How is that going to change the currencies we use? Um, so, um, you know, right now the metaverse is really getting a lot of attention in terms of people buying up real estate or, um, you know, McDonald's filed for some new patents as did Panera and people right. are wondering about that. But what it's really doing is driving business and driving commerce to um, virtual and augmented reality. And so how are we going to adjust for, we meaning an organization, going right. to adjust for that if, you know, who are our clients now? 
who do you think will be the first adopters into the metaverse? And I feel in some ways it's like the Dutch tulip craze or the, you know, the, the dot-com bubble to some degree because the companies that missed out on the Bitcoin craze or the blockchain craze, now they're jumping into the metaverse. Like JP right. Morgan's already opened up a virtual branch. Yeah. Um, but that was after Jamie Dimon wrote off Bitcoin for, for quite some time. Mm. So, um, are people getting into it too quickly without first realizing what it's going to do and how it's going to work? And again, it goes back to, do you want to be the thermostat or the thermometer? Right. And it's like the answer to that question also has to do with, as you said, knowing who you are as a business, knowing your industry, right? Knowing the trends, like say the needs and wants of your clients, as I heard you say, say so your customers, your clientele, um, how are they operating in this whole situation? You know, do they embrace Bitcoin? Do they move away from it? Um, is it going to be like, like sort of a pie in the sky thing that they won't be able to adopt to or use? And how do you use it with, say, vendors in your in your field? Uh, I think that's very important because, yeah, with like with any trend, any kind of say change, I think you need to know what your needs are first before you jump in, and then and then it sort of guides you right into how you might make certain changes. Um, interesting to know that. And I suppose those are the things that you take your clients to, right? Walking them through, okay, a self-assessment, right? Who are you? Who are your clients? I'm just imagining this from what you're saying, hearing about, say, let's, as you mentioned earlier, let's look at the advantages and let's look at the disadvantages of taking you know, different things into account, the metaverse, uh, blockchain, uh, blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. Um, really just like, interesting. It's like mind-blowing stuff, especially the metaverse, because I've had clients employment law asked me if, if a non-compete would exit would be um, binding, you know, if, if they're doing business in the metaverse, right? Because it's not enough non-compete never mentioned the metaverse, like, but it kind of comes like, back to the law looking at, well, where are you actually, you know, where are your feet in the ground, like, where are you stationed, you know, are you physically accessing the metaverse through your computer in New York City? And are your clients, like, say, you know, paying for your services? In New York, and that with the so it's it's really fascinating though, and I I look forward to this sort of evolving, you know, uh, discussion as we go forward. Yeah. I, I think it opens up when you think about all of these emerging technologies. The impact you don't always see where the impact is really going to happen until right. they become a little more mature or um, people start using them in ways you never expected. I think that's absolutely true. Yes, I think that's that's really a good point here. So true. Um, and just hearing, you know, like some of these trends that we all have to keep in mind like about, I think it's also important to keep abreast of, you know, what's happening, not to just sort of shut it out or kind of write it off as just this kind of pie in the sky type of thing or situation, um, you know, in terms of any kind of technology. I, I would agree. I saw too many business leaders writing off things like cryptocurrency because they just think, thought it would go away. It would, it would burst. And I, I gave them the same commentary that I, I gave a few minutes ago, which is sure Bitcoin may go away, but mm -hmm. it's changing the way commerce is going to work. So what do we need to know about it? Um, but as, mm -hmm. as far as non-technical business leaders, they need to have a, um, a method in place for mm -hmm. getting information about these things. And it needs to have several layers to it, right? You need to have trusted a, a trusted source for the information, right? Where are you getting your information from? If you're waiting for the New York Times to report on it, mm -hmm. then you need to be somebody or, or even the Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to be a first mover. 
Right. And let so, me just say one thing, Stacey, yeah. so sorry to interrupt you that. It's a great point. No, but we have about two minutes left in the show. I want to give you ample time to share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you, what's going on, you know, what, what's your website, email, any upcoming events, books, the floor is yours. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, I would tell people I am available on LinkedIn is probably my most used social platform. You can find both um, my business there. You can find me there. Feel free to reach out to connect. Um, my website is my business name, www.daganyagroup.com, D-E-G-A-N-I-A group.com. Um, and um, you can also reach out to Eric and, and he can pass on my information if uh if you can't figure out how to reach me elsewise, otherwise. Absolutely, that's very true. Yes, you can reach me at EMS. That's Eric Mitchell Sauver at Sauver, S-E-R-V-E-R, lawfirm.com. Happy to be a conduit for connections with Stacey. Um, and, and do you have any other... Um, just, just to say that, that um, I, I appreciate that you gave your email address because people also need to have their trusted advisors weighing in on how these regulatory changes will impact them. Um, and as you mentioned, there's a lot affecting businesses and employment law. Mm, yes, absolutely. So true. So true. Wow, Stacey, I just want to first want to thank you very, so much. Thank you so much for being on our show tonight. So thanks for sharing all your you know, wisdom and information, your insights about this topic of you know, Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain and how it's impacting business today. You know, we try to cover all the, the novel issues and trends that business owners and employers face on this show. And so for that vein, I'll just let people know that if you like what you heard tonight, um, talk about the show, share it with your friends, your network, share on social media and tune in uh, Tuesday nights. That's um, Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Talk Radio NYC to Employment Law Today. As always, I'm your host, Eric Sauer. And we want to thank you again, Stacey Robin from the Naganya Group. Uh, and want to wish everyone a happy, a safe evening and good health. And we'll see you back here next week. So, Stacey, thank you. Thank you. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. On edge. Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? 
Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 